Hello, and welcome to Back Issue Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about an older comic book storyline. In this back issue spotlight, I'm joined by James, and we're going to be discussing Multiversity number one, Multiversity Society of Superheroes number one, and Multiversity the Just from 2014. Now, this is the first, like, third of the Multiversity miniseries, not a miniseries. It, it's one of those where there's a Multiversity one and two, and then a bunch of one shots in between. And this is just the order they came out in. Yeah. Considered a crisis, was it? No, no, not at all. Not at all. This is actually, I think, coming out of around the time of the 52 series, a little a- well, after that by quite some time, actually. No, actually, I take it back. This was 2014. This was after they had done the whole New Earth stuff when they rebooted. Oh, okay, cool. So, with the new 52 and stuff. Yeah, this is my first exposure to this. Well, this is one that, that literally was years in the making, and Grant Morrison wanted to play around with the multiverse and stuff, and it goes back to, again, what they had set up at the end of the 52 weekly series, but it just took forever and a day to come out. And there was the, not the promise, but the potential of more to come of this. And we've only, other than this group of, I guess, nine or so issues, only gotten two miniseries with the multiversity kind of branding or or tagline. One of them was the recent Teen Justice stuff. Okay. That um, I'm sure I mentioned in the monthly comic spotlight, but not in glowing terms. Yeah. It was the Earth-11 Teen Titans, essentially. It's just a gender reversal. Oh, yeah, yeah, you did mention it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and not glowingly. No. (laughs) And then I think they're doing a Harley Quinn destroys the DCU or whatever as a multiversity thing. Oh. And I can't tell you about it because I didn't get it. I don't blame you. That doesn't sound like something that would be worth picking up. Yeah. Now. This first issue of Multiversity Number 1 was one that Drew and I talked about on the Weekly Comics Spotlight when it came out, which was August 20th, 2014. That would be Weekly Comics Spotlight 367. Do you remember the ratings you gave this? I gave this a B, a 4 out of 5. Oh, okay. How about Drew? I didn't look up what he gave it. Ah, that's okay. (laughs) It's on the website. I just, yeah, I didn't think to... Eh, no worries. I looked up, because it's like, I know I did at least one of these, so I went to the website, said, yep, that was the one, grabbed my notes from that, just so I could take fewer notes when I reread it this time, because I'm lazy. Ah, smart. That's what it is. I would redo all my notes. Well, I I took (laughs) new notes, too, but there were a couple where I jotted down, like, some of the characters that were gathered when we get to the Hall of Heroes and some stuff like that. Yeah, I, I can't blame you. Now, you've got the cover to these in front of you, right? Yeah. You see how they've got on that that left side of the cover those those numbers with the the half circles above them? Yeah, I figured that's the fifty two Earths, but it only went to fifty one because it started with zero. Exactly, I don't know. exactly. Okay, all right, cool. And how most of them on the first issue are dimmed out, except like zero, five, seven, eight, eleven, sixteen, twenty three, twenty six, thirty six, forty one, forty two, forty four, and forty eight. Oh, those are the only ones mentioned in this issue. Yep. Ah, I, I didn't notice that until you said it. I'm like, oh yeah, there are some that are white over there. All right, cool. Now, in this one, we've got a bunch of people from a bunch of different worlds, so that's why we've got so many lit up. We only go to a couple of the different worlds. Okay. 
what was your take on this since it was it was your first reading of this? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Believe it or not, the thing that was interesting is I typically am the person that I don't like the multiversal stuff. It, it, it gets convoluted and confusing to me a mm-hmm. lot of the time. And uh, it, like, like Spider-Verse or whatever, you know, I'm just like, uh, okay, I don't need to know about 52 Superman or 52 or 10,000 Spider-Man. So I hate that type of stuff. I, I Typically, this one was written in a way where I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good read and I felt like I wasn't lost. And, and, and that's the feeling I get a lot of times when they go, oh, well, on Earth 33, blah, 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 blah. But it felt like I was just reading a story, and it didn't really matter if I really knew the characters that were there or not. Which is and good, what, since a lot of them were brand new here. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, who's that? Doesn't matter. Uh, I, I'll just go with it. And so I didn't even know a lot of them were brand new. I thought maybe you knew who they were, or that they'd been around for years, and we just haven't seen them. But it felt like it was weirdly somewhat accessible, even though it, it, it is kind of dense with the having to know all this stuff. Well, and it's also a Grant Morrison comic. Yeah, Grant Morrison's not very accessible. Sometimes he's very accessible, other times he's very inaccessible. Yeah, that's why I was kind of horrified to read this. Yeah. And this actually, it set very well with me. It, it read, it was kind of fun, it was kind of interesting. I liked the, the fourth wall breaking. I liked the art was just fantastic in it. And I, there was a lot of fun fun that was had here. I wasn't too crazy about the fourth wall breaking and just how metatextual this got in places. Oh, it was super meta. <laughs> and, I mean, at one point, we've got a character who who's, was it a quote or was it just a caption box of his interior n- narration near the beginning? Yeah, it was a caption box. Yep. Uh, my review will be in the form of a live dissection. Now, if you look at that panel, which is what, three, four pages in. Yeah. He's got like forceps and a scalpel. Yeah. How metaphorical is this? How literal should I be taking this? I'm confused. Yeah, it's true. It's like you see him doing the dissection, but it's like that's where it's like it's very meta. It's like, is this really happening? What is going on here? But did you like that take where people on other Earths are reading comics like entertainment, but that's what's really happening on these other Earths? I like that. I have mixed feelings on it. I think they they beat that drum a little too heavily here. Okay, and I don't have any objection to the concept. Because if you go back to Flash 123, which is the origin of the DC multiverse, okay, he flat out states, Barry Allen, that he knew who Jay Garrick was because he'd read the comics. Ah, okay. So it's the same type of thing. Same thing. Ah, interesting. But when every Earth is reading every other Earths and you've got – I mean, okay, if you're reading the Clark Kent Superman and your Superman is – you know, Calvin Ellis, president of the U.S., and you don't know that, that works. If you're reading Earth 2 comics and you're on Earth 1, okay, for Flash, that's fine. Different costume, different name. Green Lantern, that's fine. It gets less fine if they start publishing Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, where the characters are virtually identical between the two Earths. Yeah, I agree. So there are some head-scratcher moments when you, you, you think about it too much. No, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I think he attempted to give some weight and credence to the concept of comic books. Where, where I liked how he referred to them as they're like a message in the bottle from another multiverse. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of cool. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. It dumbs it down for someone like me. Yeah, I'm reading this message in a bottle. And I, I liked at the end, stop reading, you know, don't read any further. It's just, it was weird. But at the same time, I enjoyed it. I got a chuckle out of it. Now, one other thing that I did like is I like... Not having read this before, I was reading stuff in here 
that I'm seeing current comics referencing today. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not reading Deceased with Tom Taylor. Correct. Okay, they have this anti-life equation in Deceased, and, and here they were talking in this comic about the anti-death equation. And I was like, oh my gosh, Tom Taylor was referencing this comic that I didn't even know about. Actually, to- he wasn't. Oh, he wasn't. I was just thinking he must be referencing that. The anti-death equation here, from whichever issue it was, uh, is a reference to the anti-life equation, which goes back to Jack Kirby's Fourth World stuff. Uh, okay, which I which I haven't read that either. So, okay, so he's pulling it from Jack Kirby. Yeah, yeah. All right, I I pulled this and I'm like, oh, he just flipped it and it came up with the anti-life equation. Okay, well that's going on in deceased. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are a lot of things here that are getting kind of referenced in and pulled and stuff, some of which I like, some of which I, I question the wisdom of the decisions. Yeah. I mean, when we get to Earth-7, and it's very clearly a riff on the main Marvel comic book universe. Oh, so much. <laughs> you know, we've got a a guy with a shield, a star in his head, the, the red, white, and blue colors and stuff. It's like, yeah, that's Captain America. I get it. Yeah, that was kind of on the nose. And then when we get later to Earth-8, which is another Marvel riff, oh, the Retaliators. Golly, I wonder who they could be. Yeah, you get that giant Doctor Doom character when you get their thing. Yeah. 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 And DC and Marvel doing riffs on each other's characters goes back half a century. Yeah, they do it over and over. You know, so some of the names actually used on Earth 8 and stuff, I think, were from characters that were used back in the Justice League around the time they did kind of a, a stealth crossover with Marvel and the Avengers. Okay. All right. Now, one of the ones I found really fascinating was when we got to Earth-23, which is President Superman's world. Oh, yeah. The President Superman. Yep. We get some stuff in the background when in the the satellite era. I love the satellite era. Okay. And most of the characters there, I'm like, yeah, okay, that kind of checks, that kind of checks. I see what they're doing and whatnot. Red Tornado being there puzzles me. Okay. Why is that? I, I, I just don't know. First off, we've got a – this is essentially the – I don't know what the correct term would be, so if I get it wrong, I apologize. The African-American world. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because we've got the, the Calvin Ellis Superman. Yep. We've got all of the characters that are familiar, Vixen, Black Lightning, or you could argue Black Vulcan. It's hard to tell which from the costume. Steel and a few others. A cyborg. A cyborg are, you know, of, of that ethnicity and stuff on the main Earth. Others are turned into that ethnicity and stuff. So Exactly, yeah. We, we've got what looks, I think, clearly like the John Stewart Green Lantern versus the Hal Jordan whatever. We've got a Batman, but really, he's far enough away, we don't see much of anything of him. Yeah, you can't tell if he he is or not. Who, knew, who yeah. knows? Did, did they flip out the, the ethnicity there? Is it, you know, a different Batman? I mean, today, it would be the... Uh, I am Batman guy. I can't remember his name. Fox. I forget his first name. Fox. Lucius Fox. No, uh, Lucius is the dad. No, not Lucius. Whatever his name is. Luke is Fox. the brother. I'm forgetting what that brother's name is because he switched it halfway. Anyways, that one. <laughs> that one. <laughs> but Red Tornado is an android. Exactly. <laughs> and he did have an alter ego. John Smith, I think it was. Okay. Who was the blandest, whitest guy you could have. <laughs> and I'm like, you That's- know, I-, I think there's a story to be had here. That's kind of funny. And I don't really have any problem whatsoever. Matter of fact, I think it's a great idea to, if, if handled well, to have worlds in which the, for lack of a better term, the culturally dominant race isn't white. Yeah. 
I mean, almost like it, they could have made this milestone. I know they have milestone as one of the mm-hmm. Earths now, but this could have been like a milestone type setting. Well, it'd be fun to see how this Justice League is fundamentally the same and fundamentally different than, say, the quintessential Earth One version. Yeah. Or one that's a predominantly Asian group. Exactly. Or Hispanic or some other thing. How does that, that change the makeup and the interactions of the group? Yeah, it could be really cool to see how they – because the personalities aren't going to be identical, mm-hmm. uh, even though the character, you know, the Superman is the Superman, but the personalities vary, just with those sp- slight differences and upbringings and things like that. Well, and just imagine some of the team-ups you can have where you get these these different variants heading to each other's worlds and seeing how different society is and stuff. Yeah, it'd be kind of cool. <laughs> you know, and that's something we have seen once in a while with the Earth 11 group, which is just a gender flip. Yeah, exactly. The one you were telling me about. Now, my my question to you now, okay, what was Grant Morrison's exercise in doing this? I Now, we, granted, I've only read three issues. Was it just to explore the 52 worlds and, and flesh them out with some little mini stories? Is that the whole exercise here? Is that what we're going for? To explore and to establish the new multiverse. Okay, so that's what we're doing. Okay, because I feel like that's what's being done. So it's kind of being you're gonna being handheld through the worlds, and so I didn't feel overwhelmed. I, but I don't have them memorized either. I'm not gonna remember which is which. Oh, neither am I. There are a couple. It's like I'll have to go look up to figure out. Okay, where did this group come from and and stuff like that. And part of it for me is like when I see Lord Volt and Lady Quark, which I think we got in when we had the Hall of Heroes and stuff, and we see that big splash and stuff of characters. Yeah. It's like, when I think of those two, I think of Earth-6, but that's pre-crisis, that Earth doesn't exist, and, and that Lord Volt died in crisis? Yeah. So, do I remember where each of these are from? No, not really, and to a degree, do I care? Sort of, but not quite. And I think, because, I mean, you, you've got to take a look at, at the background of this. I don't say the backstory, but the background of this publishing-wise. You had an ever-growing multiverse and stuff up until 1985. When it was deemed there was too much, it was too confusing, let's pare it down, let's let's get down to the one. Crisis on Infinite Hearths literally does that, shrinks it down to about five or six, and then slams it down to one. That's where we go for the next decade or two. Yeah. And then you've got some time where during that period, let's do a zero hour, let's go revamp this character, let's go let's go shake up that one continuity a few times. And then when you get into the aughts and stuff and you get the fifty two mini series of, of 52 issues. At the end of that, they go from, we have this singular Earth and timeline to, bam, we now have 52 worlds. Yep. And that was the genesis of what this became later on and and was to to fill out, okay, what are those 52 worlds? Exactly. And again, I think they made some very interesting decisions. There were a couple of these worlds, and we'll talk more about this when we get to the, the guidebook, where some of them are very clear, let's go take the old Earth X, where, you know, the, the Allies lost World War II and the Freedom Fighters are there. Let's resurrect that. But we're going to number the Earth X. Okay, we're, we're going to call that Earth 10. You know, we're going to go take a few of these other Earths, give them new numbers, or try to use the old numbers again. And some of them were, I don't want to say legacy Earths, but kind of, sort of. Others are brand new and could not possibly have existed back at, before 1985, such as Dino Cop's world. Yeah, Dino Cop. 
That tell me, did that character not look like Savage Dragon? <laughs> he is exactly Savage Dragon. I, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is a total ripoff. <laughs> Basically, his world is the image world. Oh, and I did not know that. Interesting. <laughs> I looked at him. I'm like, why is Savage Dragon in this? <laughs> now, granted, we have not seen much of that world other than Dino Cop and probably the Multiversity Guidebook. Wow. But it's very clear from from what we've got, that's kind of what's going on there. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, it's kind of nice they do that stuff, but this is created, and like you said, it's something that we don't see very often. It doesn't pop up, and and when it does pop up in the future, hopefully I'll remember this. I'll be like, oh yeah, I remember him from Multiversity, and maybe they'll have a little miniseries on him. Who knows? Oh, they don't necessarily do a miniseries, but use some of these characters in story arcs and different titles and stuff. Yeah, it just pops up as like a an add-on character for a multiversal crossover. Well, we had a Superboy story after 52 where he kind of bounced through the multiverse. Yeah, exactly. So some of that stuff is fun. And I liked how Captain Carrot here basically mentioned, you know, oh yeah, Superman, we've met. And of course, he's talking to this Superman, not the one he, well, not the one a Captain Carrot met back in Captain Carrot and the Amazing Zoo Crew number one, which was the Earth One Superman. That's funny. But he's (laughs) like, yeah, I just look at the costume colors. I can't tell you humans apart. (laughs) <laughs> that's funny yeah <laughs> yeah so i mean there's a lot of of kind of easter egg type stuff here when we get harbinger yeah. is this her from kind of you know the remains of, of the monitor station from you know crisis is it not don't know curious but you know it's, we, we may never know some of those things exactly but this was a nice little kickoff issue i thought this was a nice introduction to multiversity like you said they we got the marvel worlds which was kind of funny great art on this one but you didn't like the fourth wall breaking, but I, I did like, reader, what have you done? Pray it's not too late, you know, at the end. <laughs> They're in your head. Do as you're told. Put this book down now. It was just kind of funny. Yeah, I thought some of it was <laughs> just a little over the top with the, the metatextual stuff. Yeah. You know, when we meet a couple of members of Justice 9 from Earth 36 with the Red Racer and stuff, it's like, I'm not entirely sure where they're going with that Earth and stuff. We see so little of it, it it's hard to tell. Yeah, it was just a, a small sampling. This one, we got more Earths than like, you know, you get into the second one, the society issue. Mm-hmm. And I think there we only dealt with, I'm looking at the little color code right now, two two Earths there. Yeah, we deal with Earths uh, 20 and 40 for that story. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. This one, you, I would say the Earth count was almost, almost overwhelming, even though I didn't feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of them there. Yeah. Now, one thing I was not sure of with Multiversity number one is we've got this egg thing. Oh, yeah. I couldn't tell if that Genesis egg was the cosmic egg from the end of of JLA Avengers or not. I don't know. I was wondering the same thing, but I don't know if it is or not. But yeah, there's definitely the egg. (laughs) I don't know that it was ever firmly established either way, unless we get it in the remainder of the series, because I don't think I've read these since they first came out. Yeah. And what's funny is when we see that egg, the first time you see it, there's some that guy screaming with the black text or the black boxes the with red the red text, text. Yeah, yeah. It brought me back to Dark Knight's metal. Yeah. Who was that? The the stretchy guy turned into an egg. I can't. Who was? I can't remember his name. The Plastic Man. Plastic Man was in an egg. He was yeah. floating around as an egg in the entire issue, and I, I, I had flashbacks in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just kind of funny. Hey, overall, I enjoyed this. I thought it had some really good art. I liked seeing some of the other worlds. Do I think they need to have, you know, a Fantastic Four variant and stuff like that? And particularly a few of them, it seems like just to kill off? No. No, I'm with you there. 
this is not a book that I would say is like A plus material or even A material. But I, I think the reason why I enjoyed it so much is it was a multiversal book that I felt like I don't hate this. You know, this mm-hmm. is this this is cool. I can read this. All right, fine. And I felt entertained without being overwhelmed. And that was that's tough to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy exploring the multiverse and stuff, particularly when they've got a good story to tell. This had a good story in places. Other parts, again, a little heavy-handed with the metatextual stuff, but it's Grant Morrison, so you're going to get that sometimes. And given how long it had been since they'd really dived into the multiverse at DC, I think this was long overdue, and the fact that we really haven't gotten a ton following up on it, or anywhere near as much as I think we should have, kind of bugs me. Yeah, I, I can understand that. And I'll tell you another thing that I don't want to say refreshing, but this was so much easier reading than when we were reading Busick's Avengers Forever, because it was so dense with text. <laughs> and this one just kind of flowed. That's what 15 years of storytelling style change will do for you. Yeah, I was like, 15 years, it's like, oh my gosh, this really flows. <laughs> it, it just made me laugh just seeing the difference in 15 years. It's like, wow. Well, it's also the difference of trying to condense and explain decades of continuity yeah, versus trying to create a solid springboard for potentially decades of future continuity. Yeah, I, I would say this is much easier, honestly. Yeah. I don't want to say you had a blank slate, but it was almost like a blank slate. He was just telling like a little, here's an interesting little quirky story over here. And if someone wants to reference it in the future or they want to do a miniseries, have at it. Yeah. All he had to do with Red Racer there was make him interesting. Yeah. That's it. Here's this guy. Cool. <laughs> it could Versus be ex- wildly ambiguous and stuff, and it could go in 18,000 different directions after this, but only if somebody found the character interesting enough to write again. Versus Busick having to explain years of continuity and make it make sense or try to make it make sense. I don't know if he had to. I think he chose to, but yes. Yeah. It's very different. Very, yeah. very different. Yeah. But now, what did you think of the second issue? Because it, it completely changed gears on the art style. But I, I, it made sense because you're going back to the basically like the just Justice Society. You know, it felt like a 50s or 40s book. This was essentially this this main world. I'd pin it as a mashup between kind of a pulp Doc Savage world with an Earth Two vibe to it. Yeah, definitely. That's a perfect way of describing it. Because we've got a couple of characters where the names are familiar. The person who's kind of narrating the first page was called Anthro at one point and is the Immortal Man. Now, classically, they were different characters, but let's smash them together and, and use this guy as, as, again, the, for lack of any better term, the really elder statesman. Yeah. And who's the guy with the green mask on, the ski mask thing? Uh, the blue one? Yeah, or the blue mask. I, it, okay, I'm that sorry. one I I'm just found blind. hilarious. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, slightly. <laughs> this is Adam Al Pratt, who was a World War II you know, Justice Society member. Yeah, I was looking at that. I kept thinking he looked like Moon Knight <laughs> with that little symbol. Well, you know whose symbol that is. It's not Moon Knight. <laughs> it's Dr. Manhattan's. Exactly, Dr. Manhattan. I was like, ah. And I'm like, I don't know why he's got that on his mask or whatever, but okay. When I first thought, I was like, oh, this is Moon Knight, Moon Knight. I was like, wait a minute, no. And I started looking it up and I looked online. I'm like, oh yeah, Dr. Manhattan, that's where that's from. <laughs> but this is also a world where the costumes really kind of aren't there. You've got masked yeah. men, and so you've got Adam here in just, you know, slacks, a, a dress shirt, a kind of a sweater vest on top of it, and then a, a, a full mask, kind of like the, the Golden Age Adam would wear. Yeah. I mean, th- back when they first created these guys, there was no rhyme or reason or no status quo. So yeah, you figure guys would be dressed normal and just cover up their face. But 
even if you look at the original Adam and a lot of the, the Justice Society characters, that's when you started to get away from those that just had the, the domino mask or something like that into the capes, the cowls, the full-blown costumes. Yeah. Here, they're staying more in that pulp era and kind of almost just a little before that and kind of ditching or not getting to the point of the costumes. Exactly. I kind of like this feeling. It was, it was kind of, I don't want to say refreshing, but a nice because you don't see it very often. Mm-hmm. Well, and to take Doctor's Fate and essentially do him up almost like the Rocketeer. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. He looked just like the Rocketeer. So it, it was so cool how they did that. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but there was a lot of like interesting things in there where it had such a retro vibe, but then when you get to certain panels and certain pages, it felt more futuristic. Yeah, I think you've got that science adventurer kind of a stuff. So to me, it's evocative of like the Tom Strong, which also goes back to a Doc Savage kind of roots as well. Yeah, and you get those DC zombies in there, and that just hit home because I was just reading DC Horror, which they had, um, oh, who was it? Sergeant Rock versus ah, the zombies. Yeah. I was just like, oh, wow, I'm reading this right now. <laughs> it was just kind of funny. Well, and some of the other characters they bring in that are familiar, you know, Vandal Savage, yep. Felix Faust. Lady Shiva, a few others like that. Very interesting choices. Yeah, I like Lady Shiva. I, I've read her before, and I do like the character. So I thought it was really cool. It was it was nice just seeing this and the vibe, the feel, the costumes. It felt so different. Like you said, a pulp that we don't get very often, yet it didn't feel old or dated because it was written very modern. It definitely has a bit of a timeless feel to it in a weird way. And the other thing that I think anchors it in the era it's it's in, at least philosophically, if not necessarily dating it, is the entire concept of War of the Worlds. Yeah. Because we've got one world invading another parallel world. Which was really cool. I like that. It, now, was Jeff Johns, was he writing Green Lantern around the same time? Because we get Parallax. Parallax had already been established by this point, but that goes back even further than Jeff Johns' stuff. Okay, I thought he did it. That goes back to like the death of Superman and all of that prior to okay, that. Okay, so it goes back way further. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I thought Jeff Johns, but like I said, my knowledge in DC is not very good. So I was just like, oh, was he writing it at this time? So, But I thought that was cool to see Parallax show up. Parallax was interesting. Jeff Johns, he took what had been established really for just the Green Lantern Corps and the Sinestro Corps and then expanded that out through the spectrum for the other cores and such. Very cool. But a lot of... The, the great stories we get from various people, including some of what we're getting here, again, harkens back to what had been built before, and either finding new ways to play with it, putting a new spin on it, or just treating it with respect and telling a good story with it. Yeah. This book right here, The Secret Society, or the, was it, yeah, Society of Superheroes, it, it was really interesting. It was good. I also liked how the Green Lantern in here, how they made him a demon-looking character. Mm-hmm. I, I just love that. I thought it was just, it was great because typically you see someone looking like a demon, they're the bad guy. <laughs> and that's not the case here. What I liked about it is it didn't look all that different from the classic Abin Sur. Obviously, the more demonic. Yes. You know, the horns, the pointed ears, that kind of stuff. And his outfit is not a traditional Green Lantern core outfit more along the lines of the Earth 2 Green Lantern, which again fits the, the time period and the style of this, this universe. Yeah, you get the really big neckline around there the, that comes up. You get the long cape. It's really cool. I thought it was, the, it was really well done. Mm-hmm. I like the Abensor. He, he was one of my favorite characters. Him and I call him the Rocketeer, the Dr. Fate. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and again, if you take this Green Lantern and comparing against the Sentinel version of the Alan Scott Green Lantern, definitely some similarities. Yeah. And you read this book and it's fun. And you got worlds invading worlds, which was mm-hmm. kind of cool. I feel like there's stories to be told in this this multiverse right here, or th- this world right here that we're probably never going to see, but there's stories to be told. Well, and that was, again, Grant Morrison's, I think, entire point in doing this was to put a bunch of springboards out there, make it interesting enough that the idea would be people would want follow-ups to this or would want to write the follow-ups even. It just, for a variety of reasons, never really happened. Yeah, unfortunately. but And I can see why, because you know, if we, if we look at the modern landscape that we're in, where I feel like the movies are starting to wane a little bit, mm-hmm. but movies were the driver. You want to have your best foot forward. You don't want to have to be explaining, well, we're on Earth so-and-so, and here there's a president Superman, and here this guy looks like this, and it's not the one you know. He's on a, That gets very confusing, especially for people coming in for a sequence of movies. So that stuff gets kind of pushed aside to make the main quote-unquote DCU look and feel and be the the mainstay. Well, what's funny is it, I agree with you entirely, yet it seemed to work surprisingly well in the Arrowverse. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> to the point of even getting to the point of doing a Crisis on Infinite Earths. That was, yeah, yep, that is true. It was done there. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this world just felt very rich. It felt uh, very fun, and I'm sad to see it go. I mean, it's there. It's not gone. It's just forgotten. Exactly. It's just not utilized. Yeah. And that's, I think, a fault of of DC editorial and not just the line editor level, but the the higher ups and stuff. I think they really could have found a way to keep the multiverse a bit more in play than it was, build some of these things up to, to stronger franchises and whatnot, or just, you know, have other characters go to these worlds or something like that, but not just do some one-shots, call it a day, and be done with it. Exactly. They could have made this into, I hate to say it, like an Ultimate Universe, because it is like that, but something that they could have, yeah, Ultimate Universe is rip-offs of all this stuff. We'll get to that with the just. (laughs) With the just, exactly. So, I mean, all of these worlds they set up have potential. Some much, much more than others. I agree. Some simply because it's a retooling of a previous version that had a lot of potential and a lot of actual value. Others, you know, okay, you got it. You got fifty-two to fill out. They're not all going to be winners. I get that, you know. But it doesn't do you any good to set them up if if you don't use them. I agree. And when you mentioned the just that cover, made me laugh. Yeah, I was like, I was like, what kind of tabloid nonsense are, am I reading now? <laughs> this is Earth sixteen, the only Earth we get here. We spend pretty much the entire time solely on it. And we've got a very almost People Magazine kind of of cover. Yeah. What is that really sleazy tabloid, like the Inquirer or something? (laughs) Yeah, it felt like that. (laughs) Well, this whole world is pretty much populated with new characters and or replacement characters and or whatever that all kind of post-date Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. And it's it's supposed to be the, the Me Too, the Me Now generation of, of characters, whether they really were that way or not. Yeah. And I found it interesting, as I was going through this, I started making note of, okay, we've got Sister Miracle instead of Mr. Miracle, Megamorpho instead of Metamorpho, yep. you know, and they're they're both new characters, Sasha Norman in place of, I think, Shiloh Norman, Safi Mason or Sapphire Mason in place of Rex Mason. It's like, okay, I see where they're going. It's just, 
you know, either a gender swap or a different character got the powers or something of that sort. But there are other cases where it's like we've got the Ray Palmer Adam. No changes yep. there whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> like, what's going on here? I mean, unless they were going with this is the teen version or something. I don't know. Yeah, it was so weird because the way this started, you get this, you know, the Lex Luthor looking lady mm-hmm. and, and she's sitting there talking to Batman and she's just like, she's just like, is Batman gay? And I was just like, what am I here? And he starts talking about other stuff and she's like, gay. I'm like, what? And But then uh, to find out that they're kind of like a couple, but she's just goading them. It was just, what? what? It was just weird. I was like, that's a weird way to start the book. The interaction between those two, I thought, was just a bit much, particularly when we got to, what was it, the post-postmodern comments she's making and stuff, and PictoFix yeah. or whatever instead of comic books, and it's just, uh, I, I couldn't tell what the point of the characters' diatribes were, and it just got to where I didn't really care for them. Exactly. I mean, and then you would assume, but I guess not in this world, that Batman, one of the the ultimate planner, ultimate detective, smart guy, and he he basically has her hide in a closet with a <laughs> something over. But, but like this, Superman's not going to figure it out. <laughs> this isn't that Batman. It's true. He's different, and that's what it, it made it kind of funny because he's like, I can hear her breathing. You know? Well, but, but can, if if you go back to it, she's goading him of you know, aren't you the world's greatest detective? And he's like, No, I'm the son of. Yeah, exactly. Because we find out, I think he was Damien, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Damien. Yeah, Damien. So this is a Damien that is so different from the Damien that we see right now, the man Damien in the future, I'm assuming. But yeah, very, very different world. So this is like the Gen Z world, or whatever the next generation after Gen Z is. Well, it's the Gen Z world if Superman had basically solved crime and, and you know all the bad stuff in the world. Yeah. He's got this army of robots, they're cleaning everything up, so the modern generation of, of Heroes and villains, they're bored. Yeah, they're completely bored. It almost take on, took on a feeling of, oh, what was that superhero thing by Mark Millar? You know, where the, the kids were bored and- Oh, uh, Jupiter's Legacy. If they, they, it's not the same, but it felt similar, the characters, the how they felt compared to their parents, you know? Well, it's a different take on how the next gen could turn out than, say, Kingdom Come. Exactly. So it it was so weird, but I felt like I knew the characters at the same time, even though they were so different. What did you think of the Superman? I thought he was interesting. Not anything like the Superman we have today. He's not... He's not Jonathan Kent. He's not Jonathan Kent. <laughs> he's just like, he's nothing I've ever seen, and he's not what I would call super heroic. Well, there's no need for people to be super heroic in this world. I mean, we've we've just exactly. established that. And this is Chris Kent. Kent. Yeah, and I was I didn't know if he's someone that you knew. I'd yes. like who is this guy? Oh, who is Chris Kent? Now there was a period where and I want to say it was around the new Krypton arc and stuff they did at one point, and around okay. the James Robinson era of Justice League, where oh. Superman had basically kind of adopted General Zod's son. Oh, and is this him? And he went by Chris Kent when he was being raised by Lois and Clark. And for a while he went under the name Nightwing and he was doing a lot of superhero type stuff. Oh my gosh. Matter of fact, he and a version of, of Flamebird took over, I think it was Action Comics, one of the books, while Superman, I think, was over on New Krypton. And again, I could be I could be off by a good five, six years on how some of these concurrently played out or didn't play out, because I haven't read it since it first came out. <laughs> so yeah, this character we really have not seen since the New 52 reboot. Yeah, he seems like edgier, immature. 
like you, you know, like he's saying, I was punked by you and Miss Mixelplick at one point. Mm-hmm. Like calling her that because she's bald. <laughs> I was just like, it, 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 the the issue made me laugh a few times because it's just how weird it was. And I, I, but I enjoyed the characters just because they're so different. And I, and I don't know how much I need to know about them because I don't know if I'll ever see them again. What's interesting is this is again 2014. Yeah. Okay, so that puts it three years after the new 52 reboot. That puts it well before the Convergence series. Yeah, which I haven't read that either, just well, FYI. Convergence is what gave us the, I forget if it was Superman and Lois or whichever the title of that book was. Okay. That gave us the John Kent that became the Superboy that hung out with the Damian Wayne Robin for the Super Sons, uh. etc. That that I love that series. That was a good series. All of that though is after this, so they didn't have that in their toy box to play with at the time. Interesting. So he went and pulled this character well, who's the son of Zod. This was the the equivalent character at the time. Now this reading this book, I can see how this could be grating on some people and some people would hate this. But I think I thought it was kind of funny. I wouldn't mind reading about this Superman. <laughs> I, I like he's just so different that I think it would be an interesting read. I don't know how well this world would do for an ongoing series. I think it would be short-lived because it would take the correct writer and someone who didn't go too heavy on the jokes, you know? It's not even a matter of going too heavy on the jokes. I think you need to fundamentally change the premise of this universe to make it viable. Because when Superman's telling Batman about his team-up with Sandman, First off, there's a, a, a reference to the creator of Sandman, and I'm like, really? Batman's going to be referencing that? It's like too metatextual, and it wasn't done in a metatextual sense, so it, it bugged me. But ultimately, he sums up the team-up was, you fell asleep and you had a dream. That was your big team-up? <laughs> yeah. This is a boring world by design, and you need to break that aspect to make it narratively interesting enough to set a series on it. Exactly. You, you almost have to take I hate to keep referencing Jupiter's legacy, but I felt like those characters were a little bit bored. Stuff was happening, you know, there were spoiled brats. And I'm not saying these guys are spoiled brats, but because they haven't had to put their lives on the line, they've become entitled, arrogant, I don't know, however you want to look at that. Gen Z, you know, mm-hmm. what we accuse them of, something happens. Something has to happen that physically breaks their world and they need to take it up to the next level and they need to mature. And kind of find out who they really are. I think that would be a cool story. It's obvious what needs to, at least to me, it's obvious what needs to happen to change this world to make that viable. A really good bad guy? You just need to break the Superman robots. Oh, that's true. (laughs) Exactly, have them hacked. (laughs) game changed, you're no longer in a boring world, and you've got things you've got to go deal with. Because the robots aren't there to do it anymore. Yeah, they're gone. Now, so many of the characters that seem to populate this world, or at least the parties of this world... Our characters, such as the various New Blood characters, Argus, Gunfire, Anima, Loose Cannon, other winners like that, and other ones that came about kind of, again, after Crisis, you know, Risk from the New Teen Titans, Max Mercury, although technically that character goes back to the 40s as Quicksilver, but he came into the books after Crisis and stuff like that. Yet you mix in a few characters like what appears to be Dula Dent there with Alexis Luthor. Yeah. Very true. And you know what? It's like, well, we did read the book, but Grant Morrison, he set that up your your dream come true on that last page. And that's what made this world interesting because he kind of shows it what you wanted to happen, happen. Mm-hmm. And that's the story I want to read because how did the characters rise up? What do they do? How do they come together? Does Batman or Damien 
suddenly become a detective? Does he become very smart? Does he have backup plans? How does you know this Superman stand up to characters that are just as strong and powerful as him? You yeah. know, stuff like that. It's and it's right there, and it'd be such a cool story, but it, we, we'll never see it again. Whatever. <laughs> well, it's like this ends on the premise point without it being clear that's the premise point. Exactly. So it's like. I got to that and I was like kind of excited. It's like, oh, cool. Here's where we're going to get the character moment. Here's where we're going to see where you're going to have the kids not be not being shallow. You know, everyone talks about every generation is, oh, no, look at these kids coming up, you know. Oh, no. Oh, no. But they just have to have their moment to shine. And this is their moment to shine. And I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing their, them shining. I'll be honest. I found this group the least interesting of pretty much all that's out there. Oh, that's true. Part of it was the art style didn't totally gel with me. No, I get you. I understand. While I appreciated and enjoyed a lot of the cameos, everything from the Protector, which was from the anti-drug PSA comic for the New Teen Titans and stuff, to uh, Masi Minos from the, the Titans cartoon and some stuff like that, they're just filling out the background of a party. They're not really doing anything. No, uh, exactly. I, I would say the second book was much more interesting than the, the third book. And the first one was all just the setup. Here's the... Here's the premise, you know, here's what we're going to be doing. Yeah, but if you think about it, both of these worlds are almost post-apocalyptic by the time we're done with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like, not wow, going well. <laughs> that's uplifting and something I can build a future uh, series off of. Yeah, no matter which universe you go to, hell is coming. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I thought this was interesting. It was good. I think the multiversity number one was my favorite of the three of these. Yeah. I liked the art and the take for Society of Superheroes. Didn't really care for the War of the Worlds aspect of it. Not saying yeah. it was a bad choice, but not something I would necessarily want to read a, a monthly book set in. Exactly. Yeah. You know what? We're pretty much on the same page. I, I like the first book the most. I call it the setup book, but that was probably the most interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely the setup. It was the, the start of the, the bookend. Yeah. The second one was kind of cool, but yeah, the War of the Worlds was okay it's there and the third one is just weird and it was set up for a cool story at the end but it didn't happen and so it was the least stuff happening it was more kids being kids or or not even kids but you know older teens or early 20s you know uh, misfits (laughs) yeah yeah well we're going to come back in a a second episode we're going to get through pax americana thunderworld which should be a lot of fun or thunderworld adventures then we've got the multiversity guidebook which is part guidebook part story. So I figure we'll definitely talk about the story, and if there are any of the worlds you found interesting or have questions about, we can talk about that. And then in a third episode, we'll go through Mastermen, Ultra Comics, Ultra Comics having been alluded to in each of these three issues. Yep. And then we come back to Multiversity issue number two with Justice Incarnate. Well, I'm, I'm excited for the ride, and I'm glad you picked this, because I wouldn't have picked it because I was thinking, ah, oh, Multiverse not my cup of tea, but I would say even a new reader can enjoy it, like me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and at some point, I think it might be fun to go through the various Crisis on Multiple Earth trade paperbacks and stuff and go through the various JLA, JSA crossover stories, not at a blow-by-blow level, but more in a, this is what they're setting up, here's the Earth they either never go back to again, or here's where they're introducing a lot of their readers to, the New Gods or the Legion of Superheroes. Or the Fawcett characters from, from, you know, Shazam and stuff, or all of those things. And just kind of, I think going through all of those gives you a, a very interesting overview on both the DC pre-crisis universe 
but also the multiverse to a degree. Yeah, exactly. I, hey, I'm cool. I'm cool with it. So yeah, when we're done with this stuff, that's something we could look forward to for sure. I know we got some other stuff on the on the list, but yeah, we'll definitely do that. We'll just try to figure out a good rotation on some of that stuff. Exactly. And certainly, but, uh, li- certainly listeners should, should chime in on, on what they kind of vote for and what they'd be interested in. Yeah, because if people really want us to do a back issue spotlight on something, if they're all down for it and they say uh, Nightfall maybe issues this through this versus all of Nightfall, which was like 1,800 pages, I'm on board. <laughs> I'm willing to consider it. I'm not going to say Nightfall was one of my favorites, so that's a bad example. But yeah, certainly <laughs> getting stuff on the list means it's more likely to, to get done and stuff. Yeah, I want to do Tom King's Nightmares. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I haven't decided if I'm going to pick that up or not. I Yeah. <laughs> when I read some stuff saying it may take over the entire line for a while, I'm like, ooh, dangerous Yay. choice. <laughs> Yay. So I, I think my main disappointment with Multiversity is how little payoff we get on some of this setup. No, I, I would agree with you there because it, it's a little bit of frustration because you get slightly invested in the world and it's gone. Yeah. And that's really sad because like I said, I that second book, I would like to read more about that to some of those characters. I probably may see them in the background of something or a team up. And I would like to see those characters face that moment at the end of book three. I, I doubt I'll ever see it. So there is a little bit of frustration there. I well, can see. And I think one of the things that made Society of Superheroes better than the just, there were fewer characters in Society of Superheroes. Yeah, makes so it easier. We, we got much more invested in them. I would agree with you. You you get to know them a little bit better, or a lot better. Whereas it felt like a lot in the just where, okay, here's the, the twist on this character. Let's move to the next. Oh, here's what's different or radical about this one. Let's move on to the next. You know, so. Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm looking, looking forward to the next. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading the rest. I haven't read them since, again, they came out, which was, you know, eight, ten years ago, eight years ago, thereabouts. So, yeah, we'll definitely come back and, and do the others. Sounds good. Cool. Recording clips for the preview spotlight episodes is easy, and we've got an open submission policy for these episodes. Please send in clips to support the comics you love as often as you can. If you'd like to get email reminders for the preview spotlight episodes, you can join the emailing list on the main page of the comicbookpage.com website. The deadline is typically the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Check the main page of the website for more information and the exact deadline for the next preview spotlight. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.